Well, I'm excited. I was doing a lot of praying and a lot of seeking God. Because change is never easy. Change never goes exactly like it should. And I appreciate what I've learned through stuff like this. And uh, God humbles us in all the different ways, right? So uh, I got some humbling, but I'm also really grateful because I feel like we've had an encouraging time already this morning. Amen? And I just want to thank everybody who was a part of making this thing happen. Uh, the, the leadership group, everyone that came here Thursday night to scope out the land and plan out everything. And the singers come in here to rehearse and the multimedia and the sound guys. It's the children's ministry that was here yesterday, making sure how the children's classes were going to be set up. And uh, just figuring out, I hope you saw all of our different signs outside, directing people and everything. Uh, there's a brother, Raju, who was from the Bronx, who's now in Texas. Seems like a lot of people moved to Texas. Amen for Texas. But anyway, he is an awesome brother, and he helped design those signs. And even all the food that's outside here today, thank you for you that brought that to fill up the food pantry here so that, the, so that this church can serve the community that it does with that food. And for Hope, uh, Paul and Bobette, you guys have big hearts and big visions, and you keep seeing opportunities. So... And that was a great celebration last Sunday of recognizing everybody who serves in all those different capacities. Because I feel like in our fellowship, we've got men and women that have talents in so many different ways, and they're willing to use them. And they're willing to step out and serve in a variety of ways. And even everybody who was here at 11.30 this morning, that was this morning, to set up, to make sure this thing was all organized. There's, there's a cadre of people. And how we're doing our little security assessment of all the fire extinguishers and exits and so we can teach the children how to get out of the spaces if they need to. Like we, had a, we had a security plan for the other building. We had a security exit plan for here in case there's ever that need to get out. Like, you know, if we get too fired up in here and smoke starts coming out of things. Okay? If you see the thing bopping, it's because the church was rocking. The signs are just, okay? So have you guys ever just needed, you remember the commercial, the Calgon moment? If we can go to that first slide. You ever need a Calgon moment? Calgon, take me away. Okay, I had about a, a month happen in a week. We had Wednesday night, which was great, but it was intense. Thursday night I was here. Friday we were down at the wake. Saturday morning we were at the funeral for Delisa's mom. Saturday afternoon and evening we're all over here. And we met a woman last night who wants to come to church next Sunday, just outside of here. We were running around figuring out the signs and stuff. And we're sharing our faith all over that mall right across the street from Armando's. And we're just having a blast with that. There's a whole bunch of invitations out there for our church service. Please feel free to take some. It's going to be awesome. Psalm 96, though, was my Calgon moment Friday afternoon before we raced off down into Manhattan to be at the wake for Delisa's family and her mom. Psalm 96, verse 11. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. I don't have a big backyard. In fact, some of you have been there know it's a rather small backyard. But if you put the chair in just the right place and look up at just the right angle, you get to see the brilliant blue sky. Then I saw the green pine trees and the brilliant green of a, another tree, which I forget the name of, right? Magnolia tree. And then there's the bird sanctuary because we're right next to Woodlawn Cemetery. So there's all these birds flitting about, blue jays and robins and all kinds of stuff. 
That was my Calgon moment. I just chilled there and pondered everything that we were going on with us and everything that I'd been learning and what God wanted to happen even today. I'd sought input, like, what's the best way to approach even preaching today? And I was like, I want us to think about how awesome God really is and how much he really cares about us. In that moment, I needed that Calgon moment just to reset my mind and refocus and think things through because thinking of things to deliver to the church that are meaningful, it takes effort and prayer and input and, and, and sometimes it's just an inspiration of the Holy Spirit that gives you ideas. So I'm just grateful for that Calgon moment. But I was sitting there and I was thinking about, well, that kind of really encouraged me, but what fires God up? What makes him excited? What makes God really jubilant? Well, if we go to the next slide, okay, what makes him excited? Look in Luke chapter 15. We're going to stay in Luke 15 because Luke 15 is all about finding what was lost. Luke 15 Verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. How do you think the people that were there to hear Jesus felt to know other people were saying that about them? They didn't feel really good, did they? Sinners, when we're in the wrong place in our lives and we're not really at a place of repentance, sometimes you can even tell yourself, I can't change. I can't be any different. I'm just the way it is and that's just how it is and I'm, I'm, I'm done for. Jesus goes to incredible lengths in Luke chapter 15 in three parables in order to just talk about exactly how much God values what it is that we are to him. And there's a whole lot of rejoicing in there. There's a whole lot of parties in there. There's a whole lot of celebrating in there. And I noticed three things as I read those parables. I'm going to tell you the three things I noticed as, as we read those parables. So um, the first parable is about the lost what? Sheep. Let's read it. I want you to notice something special in there that he does for the sheep as we read it. It's my first point. If you can pick out the point. I'll give you a gold star. Luke 15, verse 3. Then Jesus told him this parable. Now, this was right after the muttering, and right after probably everyone that was sitting there kind of felt like, oh man, what am I doing here? Then Jesus told him this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors around and gathers them together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over the one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, I don't know about you, but I might think a 99% retention rate was pretty good. Did Jesus think a 99% retention rate was pretty good? What was his goal? 100%. He doesn't think anybody's not important. He thinks everybody in here is important. He says, if there's one person that's not right, I want that one person to be saved. I want that one person to be brought back. I don't want anybody to not make it 
into the salvation that I'm offering. So he's talking about now. I think a real shepherd might have thought, well, I lost one. I got 99. I'm okay. But parables, don't they, they, they illustrate from real life, but sometimes they exaggerate from real life too. Because they're meant to be something you can connect to, but you're meant to pick out the exaggerations so that you can actually understand the, more of the point. Point is, this is, God cares about us. He wants us. If one of us isn't in a right place, he doesn't go, well, there's 139 other people that are all right. He's like, I care about every single person in this room. My first point is, he carries us. What did he do when he found the sheep? He put the sheep up on his shoulders and he carried the sheep. Jesus is willing to go even to that length to bring us back to him. Some of us have felt that being carried feeling through the fellowship, through God's spirit, through people's prayers, through you opening the right scripture at the right time and seeing the living word of God speaking to you, through your heart changing in a moment when you thought, there's no way I'm ever going to change. There's no way I'm ever coming back from this. And your heart just changes. Because that's the way God works if we don't give up. Has any of you ever been lost? Man, I was a kid on Rockaway Beach. Rock, rock, Rockaway Beach. Right now, I was on Rockaway Beach. I was about five years old, playing in the sand. If you've ever played in the sand, in the surf, what does the surf keep doing to you all the time as it washes over you? It moves you further down the beach. I, I looked up. None of my family was around. I was like, ah! I was completely freaking out. I remember this to this day. You know those emotional moments you're never going to forget? And I looked up and I'm like, what happened? Where did everybody go? Coming across the boardwalk right towards the railing on Rockaway Beach there was my family. And as they came up to the railing and I saw them, how did I feel? Wow. Relieved. Saved, right? Brought back. You know? Why do you think the shepherd was so urgent about a sheep? How do you think a sheep is going to fare by themselves? It's only a matter of time till it becomes some animal's lunch. Sheep got, there ain't, there ain't no defense for sheep, right? It's the shepherd. Sheep are for, for, for wool and for eating. They don't go out there and there's not ninja sheep, okay? We are the sheep. We need our Jesus. We can't defend ourselves against the enemy that we go against. The shepherd can defend ourselves against the enemy that we go against, right? Now, he cares. He's willing to help helpless sheep. He carried the sheep. He didn't say, keep up. He picked the sheep up. I'm going to bring you with me. You know, I know a guy restored back to his relationship with God last year. He could just barely get himself to church. He was about to lose everything when he came back to church with us. And now he's able to be back in his marriage. He's able to be back with a family. He's like, I'm blown away. I just wanted to be a Christian. And God gave me so much more back than I could ever, ever, ever have asked for. Because God will intervene in ways that you can't even understand. We just have to be willing. Imagine if the sheep was like, you know what, shepherd? I don't need your help. Just go away. Let me be. I can take care of myself. I'm a bad sheep. 
Imagine that. You know, and sheep just arguing with the shepherd. But sometimes we, in our hearts, argue with Jesus. He wants to shepherd us. He wants to carry us. But we're like, I don't want you to pick me up. That's humiliating. Be humble. Let him pick you up. I was begging God this morning, bless this time. Sun came out. I was like, thank you, God. You know? And then as the parking lot filled up, I was like, amen, thank you, God. And as this filled up, I was like, amen, thank you, God. And seeing even new friends and faces and old friends and faces, like, wow, God is moving. I was inspired. I was encouraged. There's a poem on the next slide. It's the poem, Footprints in the Sand, right? Nope, I can read it because I printed it out. Okay. One night while I was walking along the beach with the Lord, many scenes from my life flashed across the skies. In each scene, I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints. Other times there was one set of footprints. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life, when I was suffering from anguish, sorrow, or defeat, I could see only one set of footprints. I said to the Lord, You promised, Lord, that if I followed you, you would walk with me always. But I noticed that most of the trying periods of my life, there have only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why, when I needed you most, were you not there for me? The Lord replied, The times when you needed me most and saw only one foot set of footprints was when I carried you. God never will leave us. He'll never let us go. But we need to let him take us up sometimes. In prayer, you've got to just humble yourself. In fellowship, ask for help and advice and direction. Open the scriptures. Search it out. God will answer your prayers. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, in verse 28, Jesus is talking to us. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You see, when we let Jesus take over, that's when he can pick us up. If you've ever been picked up by somebody bigger than you, if you thrash about, you might prevent them from picking you up. But if you let them pick you up, Amazing things could come out of it. Imagine a firefighter. Joe's training to be a firefighter. Imagine if he goes into a fire. One of the things they got to be able to do is to carry somebody down a ladder over their shoulder. Imagine he's trying to carry somebody down. Oh, no, I got it. I got the ladder. The guy's all jacked up with smoke and weak and semi-conscious. And Joe might have to knock him out. I don't know. He'll apologize later. But the point is, imagine the guy not letting himself be carried out of the fire. That would be like suicide, right? We need to understand and appreciate that. That we can't allow ourselves to resist. Now, the shepherd was happy, right? Wasn't he? And he wasn't just inwardly happy. There's an inward happiness. I put this into the category. Here's my SAT word for the day. Exuberant. Someone can tell Anthony I use the word exuberant. Sharon, tell Anthony I use the word exuberant. He was exuberant in his joy. He was overflowing. This is where the parable goes off the rails. How many shepherds call a party when they find the lost sheep? See, the exaggeration is meant to show 
God goes beyond the ordinary in how excited he is in us being brought back. He called others together. Is this normal for a shepherd? No. He might have tied that sheep up. He might have hobbled the sheep so the sheep couldn't run away. The shepherd's throwing a party. The exaggeration is for us, the listeners. It's God's excitement. It's for the people that were there that the Pharisees had just muttered about. Taking it to the next level. Rejoice. God is this excited that you're here listening to me today. God is this excited that people are here today. Regardless of where we're at, if we're coming closer, we're making the right moves. Okay? It's not just a silent pride. It was an overflowing pride. Okay? Who do you think was in heaven that was with them rejoicing? Because this is a parable about heaven. The angels were with him. The people that he called together were He's like, look, 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 angels. More people responding to my message. More people following me because of my son Jesus. See, another one's responding to my son's love and sacrifice. Just to reiterate in verse 7 of that Luke 15, it says, I tell you in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Us repentant souls, and even if you're at the verge of repentance right now, God is just going to be so excited. And he is excited, and he'll be excited to the point of kind of silliness. You even met someone who's silly excited. You know, like when someone, the person who celebrates your birthday, and you, you know they're going to do it, but they're going to be so excited they're going to make you feel silly. But you're going to be like grateful anyway because you're like, I know it's silly, but I like it. You know what I'm talking about? That's the kind of silly excited that God has about us coming to Christ. Amen? Amen. Next part of the parable in verse 8. The parable of the lost coin. Try to pick out the point. First point was he carries us. Try to pick out the point. Okay? Verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, notice the exaggeration, rejoice with me! I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Notice now he talks about angels rejoicing, right? You might think, a coin? What's a coin? She had ten of them. Was it ten pennies? Was it ten nickels? A coin back then was a day's wages. Ten coins would have been two weeks' wages. Imagine if you lost a day of your wages. You went to the ATM and withdrew one day's wages. And all of a sudden you couldn't find it. You would search for that, right? I think most people can understand why she would search for this lost coin. Imagine the things you couldn't do if you lost that day's wages. The bill or the thing or whatever it is you couldn't take care of. I went out and I bought two of these brand new physics books. They keep coming up with new ways to teach physics. I bought these two new physics books for these ranking tasks. Some of you might know who, what they are. It's all this ordering of which one's going to be greater than the other and less than the other. And they're great books. And I pulled lessons out of them and I made copies out of them. And I went and did a workshop. I can't find those books. I searched my car. I searched my classroom. I searched my office. I emailed the school that I did the workshop at. These were like $80 worth of books. Now, some of you that are in college are like, okay, it's $200 for a book. But for me, $80 for two books was a lot of money. I basically did a spring cleaning to try to find these books. And I had a moment of silence when I thought they were lost. I still haven't found them. This pen doesn't, isn't worth a lot, but I got it on Caitlin's trip when we went to Costa Rica when she graduated. And it went missing from my classroom for about three days and the kids could see the sadness on my face when it was missing. Because they were like, oh, Mr. Finn, we're going to get that pen on the last day. 
That's your Costa Rica pen. Yeah, I, I tell the kids about my life as the year goes on. I think one of them lifted it and saw how sad I was and then sort of put it back three days later. Because I was like, hey, hey, it wasn't where you found it. I looked there already. Why am I talking about this? He searches for us. He doesn't stop looking. This woman did a spring cleaning to find that coin. How, how does it look when you guys do a spring cleaning in your house? I have to do spring cleaning almost all the time because we got one dog that sheds like the Dickens. Bandit. Bandit. He just sheds all over the place. We had to get wood floors because of Bandit. We had to get leather couches because of Bandit. My wife likes Bandit because of those things, but she wants another couch. But anyway, she doesn't like Bandit for all the shedding. But when we clean the house... You got gobs of hair. You got another dog, basically, is how much hair you get. But you do a spring cleaning. This woman did that. She swept the house, right? She lit a lamp. Lighting a lamp, back then, there was no electricity. When it went out, when the lights went out, it got dark. We lived in Africa where there were houses that didn't have electricity at night. When you lit a lamp, you were committing because you're burning up some of your money and your oil, and it was expensive. So she was really interested in finding this coin. We are precious to God. In a good way. Those of you who know the character Gollum from the Lord of the Rings, what did he call the ring? My precious, right? But I'm not going to kill anybody for my precious. But the point being, he was so fixated on the value of that ring to him that he couldn't even contemplate losing it. And in a great way, that's how precious we are to God. He searches for us. He will sweep the house to find you. And if you feel like you've been swept out of the corner and dust bunnied out into the middle of the room, God is doing that to bring you to a good situation. If, you, you know, if God's working on you that way, he's searching for you. Psalm 72, in verse 12, it's actually the psalmist talking about how much God is, is, is in our favor. Psalm 72, verse 12. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save them from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. If you've ever doubted your value to God, Satan's been lying to you. He's trying to sow seeds. He's a liar. He's an accuser. He does it day and night, it says in Revelations. He's trying to tear you down. He's trying to make you feel worthless. Like you don't matter. You matter. You matter. Think about that. He gave a lot, didn't he? Didn't God give a lot to give us a chance? We all matter. You know, think about... What you could, you know, these, these lost wages, if you found them, what you could do with them, in the, just in the, in the most mundane sense of it. But the exaggeration about a big party. You wouldn't throw a party if you found a day's wages, but that's not the point. The point is, the connection for the people that are listening to Jesus at that point is, if one of you comes over to my side, that's how much God is going to rejoice. If, if any of us come over to Christ's side, that's how the angels in heaven Feel about all of us. You know, it goes beyond our comprehension. If you found the money, you might tell somebody, I found some money. I thought I lost it, but you know what? I found it. Is that good news? Yeah. Most people are like, okay, that's good news. You're not going to have a party. You're not going to celebrate. 
But this is the point. It doesn't go with reason. It goes with the heart of God, the exuberance that he feels. Okay? He gave up his one and only son for us. Right? He searches for us. I don't think any of us in here would give up one of our children for anybody. He gave his son up for us. That's how much he rejoices. And that's how much he believes. And that's how much he cares. And people are responding. People are following. But every single person who comes over to Christ's side is cause for this kind of rejoicing. Angels are rejoicing all the time. Amen? My third point. So the first one was, he carries us. Second point was, searches for us. Let's read this next one. Luke 15, in verse 11. Now this is the parable of the prodigal son, the lost son, right? Prodigal, where'd that word come from, right? Lost son, prodigal son. He's off, off on his little prodigal journey. So Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, this is a Jewish person willing to eat pig food. That's how low got things got okay verse 17 when he came to his senses how many of my father's hired men have food to spare and i'm here starving to death i will set out and go back to my father and say to him father i have sinned against heaven and against you i am no longer worthy to be called your son make me like one of your hired men so he got up and went to his father but while he was still a long way off, think what the father must have been doing for the son to be noticed from a long way off, right? His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe. And put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. Okay? He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This point here, the third point is, he's willing to forgive us. He carries us. He searches for us. He's willing to forgive us. See, we have to be so amazingly blown away about the forgiveness as Christians we have. I know before I became a Christian, I was dead in my sins. There are things that I did back then that even to this day, I am embarrassed about. Even to this day, I'm like, I deserve hell for that. And even as a Christian, I'm not walking perfect. We need forgiveness all the time. But I remember knowing where I was at. And knowing, just like I came, the way he came back, is the way I needed to come back. You know, when we're spiritually lost, sin is ruling over us. Think about this. Running off with the estate while the father is still alive. Some of us just 
walk away and we're, we're squandering all of our spiritual stuff and all of our character and all of our ability to be close to God. It's being squandered. And then we're winding up destitute and desperate. But you know what? If we come back to God this way, he can work with us. Did the father chastise him? No. Did the father put him in the doghouse? No. He says, if we return with the prodigal son's heart, God can work with us. He cares. That's how much he cares. He wants us to be right with him. You know, we need to be so grateful that in addition to God being willing to carry us and God being willing to search for us, he's willing to forgive us and work with us. We just have to come back with that heart. Amen? And that's, even as Christians, there's times we just need to reconnect with God. There are times we know we're not connected and we're just going through the steps and we don't want to not be there, but we're not really tied in well. That's where we need to just get back close to God, get back close with somebody, say, pray with me, help me. I need help. I need to reconnect. I'm not really feeling the way I know I need to be in my relationship with God. The last slide, Luke chapter 15 and verse 25. We do have to be careful, though, because sometimes when we're in Christ for a long time, Luke chapter 15, okay, we have to be careful. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you never, and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We've got to be careful that when we spend years in Christ, that we don't have put all these expectations on God. Oh, I should be having this and that. I should be having X and Y. I want Z too. Why are you giving him Z? I want Z. Sometimes we have these false expectations of what God's going to give us, and we need to be guarding our hearts. We don't ever need to become the Pharisees that are muttering. We need to be encouraging people to repent and come close to God. We don't need to be quick to rain down judgment. If someone rained down judgment on you from day one, I might have just been gone. It was a slow process. I was not open at first. God worked in the way that he worked. I came out to church because the sister who invited me was nice. I was not looking for God. She was nice. It wasn't Andy. It was a different sister. Andy's nice too. And she's awesome. She's amazing. She's merciful, diligent, hardworking. She's like the Energizer Bunny. Until you take the batteries out at night, just woo. She's like, where do you get your energy from? I said, I don't know, honey. I was working on this mess. She's at midnight, up again at six. Amen. But we need to understand that in Christ, we were all forgiven. And if we're going to be able to maintain that ability to help other people, we need to interact with people understanding that, hey, we've been forgiven too. And we don't deserve it. 
and we need to have mercy, we do need to teach the truth. We cannot lie to people about what's right and wrong, but we need to have mercy on them and not come across like I'm going to punch you in the nose and see if you like it. Right? You get punched in the nose? Okay, I I used to not be a really good fighter. I used to get a lot of black eyes, Andrew. It was bad. When I was five, six years old, seven years old, my friends on the street, we'd be playing one minute, we'd be fighting the next. And I'd get a black eye, they'd look worse because as soon as they came in and hit me in the nose, I had them. But all I'm saying is getting punched in the nose hurts. We don't want to punch somebody in the nose spiritually. We want to help them. We want to draw them in. You know who the biggest person to become a Christian in the first century was that blew everybody away? Paul. He had to change his name. Saul. He actually was a party that the first Christians martyred them. And he became a Christian. And sometimes when he went into cities, no one would meet him. Because they were like, oh, I don't know about this guy. Maybe he's a sheep in wolf's clothing. Maybe he's just here to draw the Christians out so he can drag us off to prison. God let him become a Christian, right? But he killed the first Christian. So I want you to understand the grace that God can rain down on people and the forgiveness that he can bring to people. They have to be repentant. Paul had to be repentant. If he had sat there for the three days of fasting, I'm not talking about this Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul's awesome. But but Paul, he sat there for three days fasting. If he hadn't been repentant, he wouldn't be in the story, right? He'd have been one of these other guys that wandered off and didn't respond. You've got to be repentant. But you know what? He was offered grace. He was offered salvation. As men and women, we need to continue to have that heart. Because people are becoming Christians, and that's awesome. People are visiting church with us, and that's amazing. But we've got to love up on them and lovingly teach them the things that we've learned so that they can understand what we know and come to the convictions that we have. Amen? And I want you to be thinking about the way Christ carried you at certain times, for the way he's searched for you at other times, for how he's forgiven you in so many times. And never start expecting things out of your relationship with God because of time served. Just be grateful for where we are. And I'm so grateful for this chance to share this with you. I hope it encouraged and and built you up and was meaningful to you because the Word of God needs to go out and meet needs. And I'm really hoping it did. And I'm grateful for everyone that was here to hear it. And we're going to have some more uh, closing stuff going on. But have a great time of fellowship afterwards. Amen. Amen.